0: welcome to the to read list i'm bailey and this is a podcast where i attempt to get through the 128 unread books on my shelf with me as always is my friend toby nay oh no my brother andrew and they're off (laughs) <laughs> and my husband owns the sound record. And finishing off around the corner. It's Tom Wolf with Bonfire of the Vanities.
1: <laughs> it is weird that that man is racing horses, but he is fast. And he is, in fact,
0: <laughs>
2: not a wolf.
3: <laughs> man, I hope you Pedros know Dick Francis, or this intro will make no sense to you.
0: Well, they're about to find out. It's good to talk to you, everybody.
3: Yeah, yes. i to talk to you as well.
0: I know I said 128 books. I feel like that number's wrong. I'm going to have to look again because I feel like I added more last week. I feel like the number should be higher. Mm-hmm. But speaking of, does anybody have any shame they want to report? Ooh
1: whoa straight into shame
0: well i have some other stuff that i want to talk about so let's just get it out of the way
1: i mean last week we did do 15 minutes of shame talk so
3: <laughs> that's true uh, well you know what i'll make it quick and painless i have no shame no shame whatsoever you shameless little
1: devil i have mm-hmm. a little shame this week and i will i'll own up to it it's nothing too crazy it makes a certain degree of sense i actually texted you guys about this uh midway through the week but i was working in cambridge massachusetts not boston this past week and i arrived super early on saturday before starting work on sunday so you know you have time to kill what do you do you look up what's nearby what do you find Maybe a bookstore. Specifically, what I found was Pandemonium Books and Games in Cambridge, Ooh. Massachusetts. Ooh. Which, if you've had a chance to go, Pejos, you'll know is the gift that keeps on giving. Because <laughs> you walk into the first floor. I went there specifically because there was a d and book I wanted to get. I wanted to get the special edition of the new fandelver and Below the Shattered Obelisk. Don't worry about it. Um, of course you did. Duh. Yeah. So I go there and I don't see it right away. And I'm in this first floor that has, you know, lots of games, books, a solid selection. I've been to many books, games, card stores that have just what this has on the first floor, and I would be satisfied. But I notice there's a <laughs> stairwell in the back. What do I do? I go downstairs. What's downstairs? Cups. An entire fantasy bookstore. With every fantasy book I could imagine, every series that I've had trouble finding the next books in, different editions of things, it's awesome. In that, a whole shelf of all of the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons books, as well as like third party published approved things as well. And then... If you keep going around, there's a whole play area where there was a Magic the Gathering tournament happening. So basically, huh. this place has everything. Um, <laughs> and then I did re- I did then realize it was geographically the closest game and card store to both MIT and Harvard, and in fact borders the MIT campus. So they made uh, a smart business decision going there. Very yeah, smart. Yeah, a wise investment. So I bought um, continuations of a couple series I've been reading. I bought... Um, the Golden Enclaves, the final in the uh, Scholomance Trilogy by Naomi Novak. Nice. Mm, yes. okay. So looking forward to checking that out. Uh, and I also bought Mind of My Mind, specifically in the same edition as my Wild Seed. Even after sitting in on the uh, review that Talia and I had of it? Mm-hmm. As I recall, you weren't completely negative on it. You did give me a major spoiler, which I'm trying to forget. <laughs> Sorry about it. that. <laughs> no, it's okay. I didn't think I would read it. Um, <laughs> Neither did but I. No, I'm, I'm, I want to see what happens to these folks. Amazing. And then I also did, of course, pick up uh phandelver below the shattered Obelisk in its uh, alternate cover which is a green sort of um like kind of punk rock looking
0: one nice amazing Ooh.
1: i also wanted to officially bring to the party assassin's apprentice which i did not buy uh. but was given to jillian and from all the good talk that toby's talking about this robin hobbs series <laughs> the farseer trilogy is officially in the running to be picked now i have assassin's apprentice nice. on the shelf Very excited. Uh, While
3: we're in this D&D vein, I just would like to indulge in a memory that popped into my mind of the time that I DM'd for various of our friends, Dylan and Bailey. And in the first session, Bailey's character died. And so (laughs) we just had her bring on her secondary character, which was just the same character, but his cousin and he was French.
0: Yeah. (laughs) never forget it was a good time <laughs>
3: it was a very good oh, time yeah.
0: uh, that was dark you were just like oh, i didn't know that this happens usually in the first <laughs> first <laughs> time but okay
3: those level one characters man they eh? you really gotta
1: you really gotta protect them they are squishy
0: <laughs> um well i just got one shame but you know i hinted at it last week which is i pre-ordered the book wellness by nathan hill who did the Knicks. this is his second book it's apparently oh. very good um and I got a text from our bookstore saying it's in and it's signed, and so it was kind of cool because I knew it wasn't like a cool. automatic text. It was like really the person, and I was like, exciting. Aww. so that was That's nice. Sweet. But speaking of you know shame and adding to the to read list, um, Andrew, I would like to bring up something that uh, one of our Instagram followers and fans of the podcast, Aww. Max, uh, brought up on Instagram. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about?
1: Yes, I responded to his message, so I better. Max at well done books. Indeed.
0: Andrew, why don't you introduce it? And then I will, you know, respond.
1: Thank you for giving me warning that you would do this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I can introduce it. So last episode, we really went in on Bailey on some shame and to be fair, she deserved it. Um, (laughs) it, (laughs) There was a lot of it, Um, but it had been a while since she had added, I suppose. Let's give her some credit there. So Max reached out and, you know, very caringly offered this thought, which is, um, I'm not going to quote directly because we didn't, wouldn't clear this with him. Um, But Bailey does uh, get a lot of guff from us for all her (laughs) shame. But if we actually do the math out about how many books she has read during the long run of this podcast, we might be surprised. And Bailey... I realized upon thinking about that, that maybe you do deserve some credit. And Bailey, to get yourself some credit, crunched the numbers and found out how many of her original 125 books she cleared already from the shelves. Bailey, That's correct. take it away.
0: Thank you very much. Um, and yes, thank you, Max, for looking out for me. I really appreciate it. Okay, so of the <laughs> original 125 books that were there on day one of the podcast, I have read 82. 82 wow. of 125. Also... Since there were 5 episodes I missed because I was, you know, having a baby and what? we've
1: had
0: <laughs> we've had 124 episodes. But then in one bonus episode we covered a book, Red White and Royal Blue, and then there are nine extra books that I read for the podcast because books that were on Toby's or Andrew's shelves were also on my mm-hmm. list so I read them and there were sometimes i read several books like for example when i read stephen king's omnibus of 3 books so all this to say out of 125 books that i started with i've read 139 books so
3: wow. Bailey, I have Yeah, I, Toby, I, to I think say, you're going to say the same thing as me. Take it away. Okay, yeah, I'm just going to say that would really impress me if this was a freaking math podcast.
1: <laughs> uh, what? That wasn't
3: what I was going to say, but I also agree. I know that's what Andrew was going to say. <laughs> I know it. You don't have to say anything else, Andrew.
1: <laughs> I was just maybe going to point out that while that's very impressive and you deserve your, your flowers for that, it is remarkable that you have bought so many books that it doesn't appear <laughs> yeah, that that has yeah. happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, is but... this when
2: we
3: do the grand reveal that Bailey is Max? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you guys should be nicer to Bailey. I don't think Bailey has the time to run the thriving Instagram and TikTok accounts that Max has. You should check it out, people. It's pretty good.
0: Pluck. Yes, bought, but also acquired. Like, I found a lot in little free libraries. A lot were given to me as gifts. A lot of, were given to me as intentionally shame gifts.
1: Right, right. And, they, <laughs> and for example, last week when uh, we did all those, no. how many of those were, uh, were purchased versus? <laughs> but sorry, the point of this is we do give Bailey a lot of, of crap. But you do read a lot, Bailey.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
1: We won't stop giving you crap, but yeah. this time you get your reward. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Also, you know, as another plug for myself, I read a book off my list, an extra book. Um, it's called The Hunger by Al Katsu. It's a horror sort of vampire zombie version of The Donner Party.
3: Oh, I've heard of this one. Is it good?
0: I gave it three stars. I found it was kind of in the middle. Okay. I really loved the concept, but then it was pretty slow yeah, concept, moving amazing. for me and it didn't tie it up in a bow, as it were. Like I wanted sort of more to be convinced more that the Donner Party were vampires or whatever. So hmm. it ended up being three stars, but I think it's worth looking into because, you know, it's spooky season.
1: Ah, yes. Welcome. Yes.
0: Never forget. So anyway, thank you, Um, and I will be taking all of the compliments every time.
1: Oh, I just want to point out that I have read 71 books. Uh, I'm on track to get to 100 by the end of the year. I have a schedule that is going well. I'm exceeding my goals and smashing uh, every hurdle in front of me. That is how you do hurdles, is you smash them down in front of you. And to give the official number here, that would put me at uh, 40 books ahead of schedule.
2: Whoa, Andrew, congratulations. That's so impressive.
0: Guys. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. It's been a
2: Andrew, few weeks since I got my, got, my,
0: got
2: my joy. <laughs> <laughs> Your joy. <laughs> wow. To think of all the books that Andrew has read over the past few years.
3: Incredible. Wow. Bailey, you do an amazing job. Yeah, you're you Thank you.
0: Thank you, everyone.
3: Every time I have to read, uh, sorry, every time I get to read a book for this podcast, I'm like, man, I'm glad I don't have to do two a month. I really enjoy doing it for the podcast,
1: but I don't know if I could do two a month. So good job, Bailey.
0: Thank you, everyone.
1: I would argue that perhaps you're the driving force behind this podcast. Someone say. God. Unless you had something else, you were going to say first, Billy.
0: I was just going to say nay.
1: Anyway, I did read a book this week. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> um, I read "Driving Force" by Dick Francis.
2: He's going the distance.
0: Nay. Oh. <clears throat> He's going for horses.
3: Yes, yes, all of those things. Okay. Here's your lockline. Driving Force, one of Dick Francis's multitude of mystery novels set in the world of horse racing, follows Freddie Croft, ex-jockey and current operator of a horse transportation company, as he tries to unravel the mysterious events occurring on his property after a hitchhiker is found dead in one of his vans.
0: How many mysteries can you write about horse racing? Like, ah.
1: Apparently. I mean, spoiler, we'll get to facts.
0: A lot. (laughs) Many, many, many. (laughs) The mystery is who won the race?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nobody was looking. Who won? Uh, A little more plot for you. Uh, Freddie. this horse transportation business he runs is pretty big. I kind of assumed when I read like the back jacket, it was like, oh, yeah, he's like moving a horse or two. No, he's got like half a dozen drivers. He's got multiple vans. He's got two secretaries. It's a whole big thing. Um, And his number one rule for his drivers? Don't fall in love. Don't fall in love. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No, his number two rule is, is don't pick up hitchhikers, is don't pick up hitchhikers, right? I guess hitchhikers were a lot more common in 1992 because for all of my time in England, I don't think I've ever seen a hitchhiker. But anyway. What are the rules about falling in love with hitchhikers? And horses. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that's, you know, that's self-explanatory. Of course you don't. So anyway, uh, he has a bad employee that he really hates. He like does a lot of hating of his bad employee and a lot of like crappy boss stuff, but we'll talk about that later. Um, his bad employee picks up a guy, of course, picks up a hitchhiker, and this hitchhiker has the gall to die in Freddy's van, and Freddy is pretty bothered about it.
1: You know, all those hitchhikers that just go around dying to inconvenience people. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That's the second rule. No dying on
2: company property. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: He's pretty cold about it. It kind of sets up his character as kind of, um, you know, a kind of typical male thriller protagonist where he is kind of able to take whatever the the world throws at him um and he's the boss and he gets you know he's just kind of like oh this will really throw a wrench in my business but he takes care of things um he contacts the police it's a little bit mysterious shortly after this his mechanic who's actually a really likable character named jogger um who speaks in his own version of cockney rhyming slang uh jogger looks beneath the van that the um Hitchhiker died in, and it fi- he finds like this weird metal box that has been attached via magnet underneath the van. And the box is empty once they get it open, but it is weird. It seems like someone is attaching things underneath Freddy's vans. And when Jocker checks the other vans, there's more weird containers magnetized to the vans. So something is going on. Someone is attaching things to Freddy's vans. We don't know what's in them. This guy has died. And then, this is like getting into a little bit of spoiler territory, but Spoiler alert for my review. I'm not going to recommend that you read this book, so I don't care. Uh, (laughs) Jogger is brutally murdered. He's found on the property. He's found, like, in the pit that, you know, if you go to, like, Jiffy Lube, you know how the guys have those, like, big pits under the cars that you can drive over and they work? He's found, Mm -hmm. like, in the pit with his neck broken.
0: (gasps) Jogger, no!
1: And that ruined my shipping of the whole book.
0: Oh, no, I fell in love. (laughs) I'm
1: sorry. (laughs) This is why you don't Um, fall in love. (laughs) Yeah, so thus the mystery
3: begins, right? Um, Yeah, and the rest of the book is Freddie sort of, lackadaisically investigating (laughs) these events. Um, He's also sort of drifting around the horse racing world, which he's still involved in. Uh, It's also a lot. He's telling us a lot about how he transports horses, about the logistics of getting horses from place to place, maybe a little bit too much of that. Um, But the most shocking thing about this book is that there is a very little amount of actual horse content. (laughs) There's a lot about, like, horse racing from a distance. There's a lot about how to get horses from one place to another. But, like, very few times do we encounter an actual horse, which
1: is strange. Comments, questions? Oh, I just can't wait to get into the facts because this guy's crazy. In a
0: good way. <laughs> I Not
1: bet like, he is. He, he doesn't have, like, bodies in his basement as far as I know. But you've got yourself a wild man here, Toby. I don't know <laughs> how you found him. <laughs> I'm sure he is. A-
2: Andrew, don't put the horse before the cart yet. Let's...
1: You're right. oh, good point, good point.
0: No, you mean the cart before the okay, horse. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> uh,
3: that's why Dylan's a driving force behind the podcast. Um, all right, so we'll start with elves. In the beginning of this book, I really felt like we were headed somewhere. Uh, Francis. What um... <laughs> What a backhanded elf. <laughs> I will say Francis, he really knows what he's doing. It's clear that he is, at this point in his career, he's settled in, he's an experienced thriller writer. There is a good hook to it. This is an interesting premise. Um, there are lots of very concrete details about horse shipping. Um, and by the time Jogger died and we had these mysterious boxes going on, I, I was hooked. I was like, okay, wow, we're, you know, the pace is good. I'm curious about these boxes, what's going on. Um, and he is a, he's an economical writer he's good at writing thrillers and it, you just i just felt very comfortable in the beginning of this book so i was like oh we're set up well Another elf is that, um, as you would imagine, by, you know, this being his whatever 12th book in the horse racing world, um, it's a very well realized world. He knows all the ins and outs. He knows the politics of the owners who tend to be obviously extremely rich. And then the other people involved in the world, like the jockeys and the transportation people who are very much working class and the kind of interplay between those two communities is interesting, well painted. Yeah. You know, it's it's no surprise. It's a well realized world.
0: But I'm just the waiting elves. for it to drop.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> those those are, that's maybe more elves than I thought you were going to give based on the uh, <laughs> introduction. Based on my salty tone. Yeah.
3: So my orcs. Um, Freddie Croft reminds me a lot of a much more popular. I mean, Freddie Croft is only in one book, I think. So it's fair that this other hero is much more popular. Do you guys know Dirk Pitt? Do you know yeah. those
1: books by Clive Cussler?
0: No.
3: Who does it,
1: Dylan, firmly in the dad mold. Yeah, I don't have three children who are uh, already away <laughs> at college, so I don't know about this now. <laughs> um,
3: if you guys don't know Dirk Pitt, uh, Clive Cussler is, you might have seen paperbacks all over the place. Um, it's like a series of adventure novels, and Dirk Pitt is like this ultra-macho guy who lives in like an airplane hangar and has a bunch of vintage cars, and he's like American James Bond. But while well, I was trying to figure out why I kind of like Dirk Pitt even if he can be like a little bit silly but it's because Dirk Pitt is kind of silly he has fun in his books he likes to go on adventures he likes to participate in these over-the-top plots Freddie Croft is like dragged through this book he does not seem like he really cares about the death of his very good friend and mechanic he does want to solve the mystery but he kind of seems to want to do it to like spite the police who he really hates it's just like he's you know misogynistic which i guess i kind of expected but was also a bummer he he has a very weird subplot where he has a daughter that he
2: laura right laura croft (laughs)
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's not interested in Laura's tomb writing at all. Um, No, he has a he has a plot with a daughter who he had with a woman who shortly married another man and has since allowed the other man to think that she is his daughter. So he's like kind of just released her to this other person, which is like, I think, supposed to give him complexity, but just makes him like ultra cold. Yeah, he's a really unlikable person who only gets more and more unlikable as the story goes on, and his kind of reluctance to speed anything along in terms of plot is really aggravating as the book moves on. Which leads into my other orc, uh major one, which really, you know, will round out this review, which is that the pacing is glacial like you get this good hook that really gets you in and then we are treated to these long sections where nothing is addressed we don't hear anything about the boxes we don't hear anything about the murders instead we're like floating around the racing world learning about his daughter that he doesn't talk to and he's like involved in a romance that is also boring um yeah, it's it's rough. It's not well paced. The payoff of the mystery by the end is just kind of like okay, yeah, cool, whatever. Um, this was not a long book. I read it on audiobook, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh yeah, I have time to finish this. Like I'll, there'll be no problem whatsoever. And I was like forcing myself to finish it by the end of the book. So them's some pretty big orcs.
0: So you're saying the killer is not a hitchhiking horse?
3: <laughs> no, he didn't say that, not. Bailey. He didn't say that. <laughs> Job, yeah, no spoilers no spoilers <laughs> um so in summary this is a weird book I feel like as unlikely as it may be there is probably some huge dick Francis fan out there who when they heard that I was reading driving force as like my one dick Francis was like no <laughs> not driving force that's not the good one <laughs> um so I'm I'm got the impression that this is Francis after he's written for a long time about the world of horse racing and is kind of maybe like reaching for plots reaching for aspects of the world that he hasn't yet written about um, I might be convinced honestly to try another one um, if you know one was recommended to me as like this is a good one because I have heard a lot of good things uh, but uh, but this ain't it guys I'm gonna give it <laughs> two stars
1: Ooh. before we go into the facts, I'm just curious how you found Dick Francis and what, like, possessed Mm -hmm. you to add this book to your list.
3: (laughs) My parents read tons of Dick Francis when I was a kid, and they were always, like, printed in really big editions. So there were these giant hardback books with horses. It was always horses on the cover, and he's kind of, like, cool, stylized. You know, they're always like a jockey and a leaping horse. And yeah, I read a lot of books when I was a kid and I was curious about these books and I guess I just never picked one up because I wasn't <laughs> that curious. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where now as an adult, they would catch my eye in like secondhand shops and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I wonder what those were like. So uh, this particular one, I put it on the list because I found it secondhand, I think, when I was in England at the time. And uh and, yeah, that's how it made its way onto the list. So maybe not the best way to choose a, a book from a long series is just grabbing one in the secondhand shop. But there you go. Yeah. Oh, I
0: was okay, just curious because
3: I'd never heard of The France Man. Me neither. Well,
1: now you have.
0: Well, I want to know more about The France Man. Andrew, do you have any facts on this, this Dick Francis?
1: I do. Okay. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have just skimmed the surface of this man's life. So if we ever <laughs> do come back to him, there's more to be said. All right. Um, so Richard Stanley Francis was born on Halloween in 1920. <gasps> spooky. Cool. A spooky man. He was born in Wales. His exact birth town has been oddly reported as two different locations. So I'm just not going to say either. And <laughs> <laughs> <It's> spookier yet. <laughs> His father was a jockey and a stable manager. So you dun, could say dun, that Francis dun. was born into the business. What do you say it runs the family? Horse rules everything around me. Nay, get the money. Please pay me for doing with horse stuff. <laughs> uh, he uh, left school at 14 to go straight into horse racing, <laughs> which he did. It'd be so great if you were like, he left school at 14 to go into the Naval Academy. <laughs> um, so he knew he was going to be a jockey. He knew he wanted to work with horses. Left school at 14, started doing that. Has some initial success. Works as a stable manager, but then World War II happens. He joins the. Uh, he tries to join the cavalry, but gets placed in the RAF. Becomes a <laughs> pi- a pilot. He was a Spitfire Ooh. and Hurricane bomber pilot who primarily operated in the African theater of the war for six years.
0: Wait, there was a cavalry in World War
2: II. That must have been so awesome for the draft officer when he was signing up. Where it's like, well, my father works with horses. His father worked with horses. I'm a jockey. Great Air Force. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in world war one maybe there would have been actual cavalry this is slightly different it's more of a term than a planning on riding horses into world war Two.
0: um okay
3: they just that's how they tricked dick francis into getting into a plane they're like yeah it's
1: the cavalry this just is, climb this, on is in. this is a steel horse you ride um <laughs> bon so he uh has a distinguished career in the raf after the war he returns back to horse racing but Before that, he met his wife, Mary Margaret Brenchley, at a wedding in 1945. They both described their meeting as love at first sight. And Mary would have an immense impact on his writing career. More on that later. Mm -hmm. So you're probably wondering uh, how he got into writing. And I'm not going to tell you that because (laughs) he had a whole career first as a celebrity horse jockey. Ooh. Ooh. He was like the best horse jockey, or one of the best horse jockeys in all of England, to the point where he won over three hundred and fifty races, captained the national hunt, and rode the Queen Mother's horse in the Grand National. Wait, he's that Dick Francis? (laughs) You joke, but in the fifties, this was a big deal.
0: (laughs) I'm just picturing Megan Rapinoe like stopping soccer and like suddenly writing mystery books about soccer. It's like that.
1: (laughs) It could happen. She just retired. Um, That's true. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the most notable, uh, part of his horse racing career came in the Grand National where he was racing the Queen Mother's horse, whose name was Devon Locke, who went ahead with only a straightaway left to win, so, like, just basically running it out, has the victory, inexplicably jumped, and then sat on its stomach. What? Ooh, no, what? No one knows why.
2: Could you read that again um, in a really fast voice?
1: <laughs> no.
0: And the horse is sitting on its stomach. What? Why is he doing this?
1: Um... Francis would cite this as one of the biggest regrets of his life, though the Queen Mother would just say, that's horse racing, or something to that effect, is what she's quoted as saying. <laughs>
3: she was also hanging out of like a Looney Tunes, like, you know, one of those circles at the end.
1: Yeah, exactly. And eventually, after a series of injuries, uh, the Queen Mother, by proxy, encouraged Dick Francis to retire because he kept falling off horses. Um <laughs> what an ignominious end well he was just getting older and she's like you you don't need to keep doing this you've had your success um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a uh, maybe time for someone else to take the reins mm-hmm. but mm. dicky frank wasn't done he pivoted into writing because he was approached to write an autobiography um and was offered a ghostwriter uh francis my boy said no way <laughs> and wrote it himself it was a memoir called the sport of Queens, which was published in 1957. It was a very big success. And he turned this into a job as the racing correspondent for the Sunday Express, which he did for about 15 years, five years later in 1962, he published his first novel dead cert, um, and would go on to write more than 40 more oh my word yep 40. he published a novel every year with the exception of 1998 which was actually when he published a, a book of short stories um <laughs> and uh, more remarkably very few of these books actually use the same characters there's one that has the same protagonist in four books and one that has the same protagonist in two the rest of them are entirely new <laughs> are they every all time. horses wow. oh, they're all set in the horse racing world yes wow Wow. So, yeah, there's a lot if you want to keep going. He did this uh, via very regimented writing style where he would write the new novel between January and May when his publisher, quote, came and picked it up, which I don't know what that meant. Um, I don't know if he just didn't trust the mail. Um, uh, and then he took most of the summer off before starting researching on his next novel, which he would do up until October or November when that year's actual book came out, and then he would tour, do publicity, and then January would come around again and he'd write another book. And he did that for 40 (laughs) plus books of years. Wow. And it also, in some interviews, suggested he didn't particularly love writing, um, but he liked to keep himself (laughs) occupied.
0: Well, he would have, but his wife was in the doorway going, and he picks up the pen, and he writes the first (laughs) paragraph.
1: (laughs) Well, speaking of his wife, Mary worked closely with him as a collaborator, Uh, She often brought her own influences in based on her own interests. She was also a certified pilot and ran an air taxi service, I think moving horses and things like that, or moving like horse jockeys around to different races. Uh She would just fly them around places. Uh, So she was a pretty cool lady. Um, And that actually became a plot point in a few of the novels. Um, Here's a quote from Dick Francis about his work with uh, his wife, which was, Mary and I worked as a team. I have often said that I would have been happy to have both our names on the cover. Mary's family always called me Richard due to having another Dick in the family. So I am Richard, Mary was Mary, and Dick Francis was the two of us together. Okay, but But it was kind of your
0: name, though. Yeah.
3: Yeah, Well,
2: Well, I guess you can't really
3: look a gift horse in the mouth, so... (laughs) dylan's sitting on that one i feel like dylan is looking at an ipad when it's all bold like a bunch
2: of first <laughs> horse, terms. Pun, okay.
1: horse pun one horse pun Check. version three
2: <laughs> that's my research
1: there you go um he also later in his career co-wrote a few novels with his son felix eventually relocated to the cayman islands where he retired and kept writing he died in 2010 before he passed away he received Too many awards to list, and also uh, commander of the most excellent British Empire, aka a CBE. Wow!
2: Wow! I hope Felix hates horses.
3: (laughs) I think uh, I think he actually worked in the horse transportation
0: business. (laughs) I think this, you know, joke is getting a bit long in the tooth. That's a horse thing, right? (laughs) I'm sure Dylan's.
3: I'm sure Dylan's got many more in (laughs) the (laughs) stadium.
1: Well, that's Dick Francis.
3: I hope you enjoyed learning about
0: him. (laughs) Giddy up.
3: (laughs) Excellent research, Andrew. That was a, what a
1: life. That is the very top skimming of Dick Francis's life. (laughs) Nice.
0: All right. So that is Driving Force by Dick Francis. Two stars. Nay, nay.
1: Two
3: stars. Nay. Well, Andrew, you were just bonfire with that research. (laughs) I have
1: to commend you. Oh, thank you. I don't want to get too vain, though. So maybe we should ask Bailey if she's written, if if she read a book this week. Bailey, did you read or write a book this week?
0: I did not write a book, but I did read a book. I read The Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. Oh, the
3: Wolfpack assembles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andrew and I went two very different directions (laughs) with that one.
0: (laughs) The first thing I want to say about this book is that I feel like I've always known about it. I've always known that it's a big Best-selling, like yeah. award-winning book, but I never knew what it was about. Like, if someone were to ask mm. me the plot, like I would have no idea because the back just has like superlatives about it. It just says deliciously fun, oh, a smash, brilliant, marvelous, and I'm like, but what is it about? Though? I thought
1: this was about a boarding school, and I think it's just because our mom had a copy of it that sat on her bureau for like four years. I can't remember what I thought it was about. I think
3: it was just always impenetrable to me because the title is so obscure.
1: I
2: would have guessed it's like a natural disaster movie that takes place in a furniture store.
0: (laughs) Vanities. Mm -hmm. I honestly thought fire was involved. I was like, this is a big book. It's some kind of something. Um, So that's not it's not about any of those things. I will tell you what it is about. Um, this book is a satire of 1980s New York and it follows three male characters, a man named Sherman McCoy. He is a self-proclaimed master of the universe. He's a Bond salesman on Wall Street and he you know, deals with hundreds of millions of dollars in sales and he's living the life. He's got this fancy Park Avenue apartment. He's got a wife and a daughter and he's got a beautiful mistress and he's driving his Mercedes, living his life. Then we have a character named Larry Kramer. He is a Jewish lawyer who works mostly in the Bronx, um, and he is truly really trying to make a name for himself. He believes very strongly that like people shouldn't concentrate on his bald spot and instead admire his sternum muscles. <laughs> um, and then mm-hmm. last but not least, there's Peter Fallow. Peter Fallow is a washed up alcoholic journalist who's very British and always just trying to only get a story so that he can get some, you know, stupid American to pay his dinner and pick up his tab at mm. the bar. So all of these characters are introduced. And at first, you're kind of like, mm, these are three terrible people. Why am I reading this book? And that is how I felt for the first, I would say 100 pages or so. This is a 700 page book.
1: Whoa, okay. okay that's a long one. Did not realize it was that big. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, 690, but you get the idea. Okay. So, th- so this is kind of structured in my orcs, elves. So the first hundred pages, I would say, were the orcs, where where it was just kind of like, yeah, I get it. This guy's bad. This guy's bad. This guy's bad. And it's all told from their perspective. So you're just in their head and hearing their interior thoughts, which are racist and misogynist and classist. And I'll just give you an example so you get the idea. So this is the introduction to Larry Kramer. He woke up to the pitch and roll of his wife crawling down to the foot of the bed. What a flabby, clumsy spectacle. The problem was that the bed, a queen-size resting on a plywood platform, was nearly the width of the room, so you had to crawl down or otherwise traverse the length of the mattress to reach the floor. Now she was standing on the floor and bending over a chair to pick up her bathrobe. The way her flannel nightgown came down over her hips, she looked a mile wide. He immediately regretted thinking any such thought. He tingled with sentiment. My Rhoda! After all, she had just given birth just three weeks ago. He was looking at the loins that brought forth his first child, a son. She didn't have her old shape back yet. He had to allow for that. Still, that didn't make the view any better.
1: Wow. Lazarus Took you on quite a journey there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's equally awful ones about, you know, racist topics that I don't want to read. But you get the idea where it's like, Tom Wolfe, I understand what you're doing. You're putting me in the head of this awful person, but I don't know that I want to be in the head of this guy. Yeah. So that is the majority of my orcs. Then the last, what would that be, 600 pages are mostly elves. So once you get going, you have your three characters, the characters start to connect. And there's this great sense of dramatic irony. So um, Sherman McCoy and his mistress, Maria Ruskin, are driving and they get lost and they end up in the Bronx and they have a hit and run and they strike a black boy and they just keep driving. Then it comes out. Larry Kramer works in the DA's office. He comes up with this story about this honor student um, in the Bronx who's been struck and left for dead and Peter Fallow finds out of the story. He's a journalist and he's writing about the story and making it really big as it comes out that, Oh my gosh, I think it was Sherman McCoy who struck this boy and then left the scene. And so it becomes a story of the different New Yorks, right? Like the Park Avenue, white, waspy, Wall Street, millionaire, billionaire. And then the Bronx honor student who's trying his best to get out of the projects, but is just left for dead. So it's a great sense of dramatic irony where you realize like, oh, Larry's talking about this story. Like, oh, I know who that's about. That's about this other guy I've been reading about. Um, Mm. And... Each chapter is written in such a way that it cuts between them and the dialogue is really convincing, sometimes upsettingly convincing in terms of like how mm-hmm. it's portraying slang, etc. But you're pulled in and you get a sense of, well just one more chapter because in just one more chapter surely they're going to meet, we're going to find out what happens. And then ultimately becomes like a sort of a courtroom story and a detective story of like how how is Sherman going to get out of this? Is he going to get out of this? Should he get out of this? So yeah, so I got pulled into it and by the end like I agree with the back of the book that said it was unputdownable. Like I really wanted to know what would happen, um, and I understood. I knew from the beginning that it was a satire, but I I got in on the joke more. I was more confident that like Tom Wolfe is not a racist. Tom Wolfe is trying to point out racism, etc. I mean, well, uh oh. Okay. And I know Andrew's going to share more about the facts, but I know that the book was originally written as a serial in the vein of like Charles Dickens. And it really feels like that. At a certain point, it feels like this could just keep going on and on and on and on. You know, I'm interested in the characters. I want to know the world. Like they could make a TV show of this now that I'm thinking of it. That would be really good. Or a movie. Well, we'll get to that. So all in all, I think by the end, I I understood what everyone's talking about, about how great this book (laughs) is. (laughs) It's like, okay, I get it. It pulled me in. I was interested in the characters and sort of wanting them to be punished, but also at times feeling badly for them, but really like thinking they're terrible. Um, And all in all, I'm going to give it four stars. I will give a shout out to, as Dylan referenced... There was a movie that came out in 1990, <laughs> adaptation, uh, directed by Brian De Palma, which is totally miscast. If you remember the characters I just said, you know, the master of the universe guy is, Sherman McCoy is played by Tom Hanks, which like doesn't work with America's sweetheart Tom Hanks. Um, okay. and, and then the British washed out alcoholic is played by, you know, Bruce Willis. <laughs> 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 Just like completely miscast, and Brian De Palma, I'm sorry to say, is not very funny, and so the movie's terrible. Mm-hmm. And if you're have, if you are interested in that, there's a whole book about the making of the movie. It's called yeah. um, "The Devil's Candy," and they also did an entire season of a podcast, The Turner Classic Movies, about it.
2: Yeah, it's called "The Devil's Candy" by Julie Solomon. I took a class in school about. Uh, Big budget disasters and like basically how not to do that. Yeah. And this was like half the course was Bonfire of the Vanities and like <laughs> what happened and everything. Uh, and yeah, so
0: it's interesting that you call it like a big budget disaster, which is what it is, and is kind of a theme of the book. Um, I will give a shout out. I read it mostly on audiobook. The audiobook again, it's hard to hear some of these words spoken out loud, but it's performed excellently. He does a lot of accents, especially Maria Ruskin, the um, mistress, who has a very Southern accent, Sherman, Sherman McCoy.
2: By Tom Hanks.
0: Um, so I don't know. It, it's one of those books, like I understand why people like can't say what it's about. Because it's like it's about so many things, and yet really about just one thing, which is 1980s New York, and it does it well, and I will give it four stars.
3: Nice. I think you convinced me to give it another shot, because I I DNF'd this book fairly early. I DNF'd it um after the kind of inciting incident that you mentioned with Mm -hmm. the hit and run um i think it was one of those things where it was like i was not in the best mood in my life Mm -hmm. and if i remember correctly this book gets like pretty into how broken the justice system is oh yeah and like how irredeemably broken it seems and it was just so depressing to me that i was just like not in this season of my life and i put it down but yeah, you, you convinced me I might pick it up again.
0: Well, that's fair. And honestly, if I weren't reading for the podcast, I probably would have stopped around that point because like that's where the orcs mm. were. But then yeah. it started to get better pretty much, you know, after that. So I'd say give it a try. Nice. That's all I have to say.
3: Well, that's just your opinion, Bailey. Andrew, <laughs> give us the facts.
0: <laughs> just the facts.
1: All right, well, I'll throw out a whole chunk of my facts which were about the movie because we've already covered Tom Wolfe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: say more. <laughs>
1: There's no, you guys covered You know more about it in this class you took and book you've read than I did from looking at the So uh, yeah, facts about Tom Wolfe. Um, Tom Wolf, uh, we covered him in episode 88, uh, which is called Survive the Right Stuff. Uh, we covered him with, along with uh, Riley Sager's Survive the Night, covered the right stuff. Uh, so check that out for a more in-depth view of, into his life because I I did the facts on that one too, and that was uh, quite a long research and quite a lot of facts, so I don't want to repeat them here. So just to give you a few basics, um, Thomas Kennerly Wolfe was born on March 2nd, 1930 in Richmond, Virginia, and he died in 2018 on May 14th. Uh, he was known for uh, sort of being part of the New York scene and wearing a white suit all the time, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and also uh, pioneered new journalism, which was a method of mixing literary techniques with more traditional reporting. Uh, he came to prominence with his book, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, which um, wh- followed Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. We've covered sort of a little bit about Kesey as well, so... Check our backlog. We got a lot now. Yeah. And then he went on to publish the right stuff. And then Bonfire of the Vanities was his first novel. Also, as Bailey alluded to, the Bonfire of the Vanities (laughs) was conceived as a serialized novel. No way. Just like that (laughs) nasty little guy, Chucky Dickens. Um, (laughs) And it was published in 27 installments in Rolling Stone. Hmm. wolf then heavily revised it before publishing it as a standalone he took about two years to do that so um, um
0: i i have an additional fact to just you know put it back can you maybe you let said. me finish my thing
1: because i think it might be covered
0: okay. if it is not covered at
1: the end of the section about serialized things please then throw it in
3: Okay. Bailey is is definitely the kid who keeps raising their hand in the middle of the
1: lecture and the professor is like, excuse me.
0: Wait till the end for questions.
1: Yeah, well, okay. Was your fact going to be one of the most significant differences is that Sherman McCoy's profession was changed. Originally, he was a writer before being made a bond salesman.
0: No, it was not.
1: Was it going to be that? (laughs) (laughs) Please have the rest of every fact, every
3: single fact for the rest of the facts be like, was it going to
1: be? Was it going to be uh, the idea for the book came from Wolf observing court cases and following along with the Bronx Homicide Squad. No. Was it going to be that Wolf, <laughs> however, was suffering from writer's block and conceived of this idea to write the book in small published sections. Owing to his reputation, he received an advance of $200,000 to write this, Ooh. and the deadline helped use his writer's block, despite him never having written a novel before.
0: Yes, that was the one.
1: <laughs> wow. We got there. <laughs> Andrew, did you you find
2: any research? Do you know that he always wore a white suit? (laughs) (sighs) Did
0: you know he was born March 2nd, 1930? (laughs) The title. Andrew... (laughs)
1: The title was taken from a real historical event, which happened in 1497 in Florence, Italy, when the ruling priest demanded a public burning of items the church considered sinful, including book, art, and even mirrors. Mirrors? Yeah. Mm. Not supposed to admire yourself. Um, The character of Myron Kovitsky was based on a real judge whose name was Burton B. Roberts. And uh, the book was widely successful and mostly well-received. There was a 1990 film, which then I go into that as being the rest of my facts. <laughs> my favorite fact, actually, that you did not throw in there, was that the cinematographer or someone involved in it spent a lot of time calculating exactly when a... Jet would land with the sunset exactly behind it in JFK, like did math to figure out this day, found that plane and spent thousands and thousands of dollars to get the shot, assuming it would be central to the film. And then it shows for eight seconds in the final cut, eight or 10 seconds. You mean it's an
2: $80,000 shot?
0: It's an $80,000 shot of the Concorde. And oh my God. And Brian De Palma bet the cinematographer $100 that he wouldn't include the shot in the film. And so then he was like, I have to make the best plane landing shot ever. And so he did.
3: Look, Dylan and Bailey... <laughs> You guys don't do jack research ever, all right? Andrew and I are over here busting our butts. I sympathize with you,
1: Andrew. It happens all the time. Yeah, especially when it's a repeat author where you know you have to get weirder stuff. <laughs> but no, no, just <laughs> research it all and bring it up during your review. Anywho, that's Tom Wolfe. Maybe we'll read another one of his books later.
0: Hey,
2: I paid for a film degree to <laughs> do
0: I watched a few YouTube videos. <laughs>
3: Uh, amazing research, Andrew. You do a great job every time you do it.
0: I'm sorry, Andrew. It's Good.
1: okay. Facts. It's okay. Just maybe ask what I've done for facts before you <laughs> focus so much on a non-book related thing.
0: Anyway, so so that is Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. Four stars. Nice. Andrew, I hope that you've forgiven me um, for five seconds ago. I,
1: I have forgiven you.
0: Have you made any games, you know, to lighten the mood?
1: It's very tense here, but yes, I have made a game. Okay. (laughs) Um, The game this week is horse-themed, not hit-and-run-themed. Oh, good. Yes, I think that's good. The name of the game this week is It's the Triple Crown, You Clown. (laughs) Nice, nice, aggressive. Yep. Um,
3: The way it'll work is... Is it going to be a game based (laughs) on horse names?
1: Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes. There have been 13 winners of the American Triple Crown, which is winning the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes throughout May and June. What I'm going to do is give you six of those horses, as well as names that sound vaguely like them, and you'll have to guess what the real one is. So, the way the game is going to work is you will each take turns to avoid the buzzing in. I will read the three horse names, and you will... Say what you think is the right answer. If you get it incorrect, your opponent will have an opportunity to steal. Make sense? Yes. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Bailey, you get to go first. Yep. American Hustle, American Pharaoh, American Animal.
0: I think it's American Fair. No, sorry. Yeah, American Pharaoh.
1: That is correct. One point to
0: Bailey. <sighs> American I Hustle is a movie.
1: It's true. So is American Animal. American Animals. Animal is a dog. That's also true. Uh, Toby, your turn. Got it. Okay. Justify, justified. Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew that
3: was coming. Um, I'm going to say justified.
1: I'm sorry, Toby. That is incorrect, Bailey. You have an opportunity to steal. <laughs> I knew it was Timothy Oliphant.
0: I, I mean, I think it's justify.
1: That is correct, Bailey. You have two points. Congratulations. Yay. <sighs> All right, Bailey. Your turn again. Nay. Approved. Avowed. Affirmed. Ooh. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna guess affirmed.
1: That is correct, Bailey. You have three points. Yeah! Oh, come on.
0: I'm good at horses.
1: Bailey loves horses so much. Mm-hmm. hmm Alright, Toby, your turn. You need to get all of these correct now. <laughs> Great. Here we go. <laughs> to force a tiebreak. Chicago. Omaha. Topeka. <laughs> come on. Come on. Um I'm going to go with Chicago. Bailey, would you like to steal? Is it Omaha? It's Omaha,
0: Bailey. (laughs) (laughs) Come on.
1: (laughs) Are you a secret horse race enthusiast?
0: Uh, No. I mean, some of them sound kind of familiar, but it's more just like that one sounds like a (laughs) horse.
1: All right. Well, let's get the final score here, Bailey. You have one more question and Toby has one more as well. Okay. Uh, General Ruckus, War Admiral, (laughs) Fleet (laughs) Commander. (laughs)
0: War Admiral, General Ruckus, Fleet Commander. Um, Fleet Commander.
1: Toby, would you like to steal? Oh, I know what it. War is. Admiral. That yeah. is correct. One point for Toby.
0: Yes! That was my first instinct. Never go against your first instinct.
1: You fool. You fool. You clown. Uh, and now, the last question. Toby? I believe this one is worth 10 points, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know that it is. Just like in horse racing.
0: Well, I'm in the lead, but my horse could just, like, lay down in the middle of the track. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Portland Thorn. Seattle Slew. Boise Bobby. Seattle Slough. That is correct. That is an easy one. <laughs> yes. I tried to mix <laughs> which ones were like sort of easy and known horses so that you guys would get a chance. And I think they just fell in an order that made Toby get the train run on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. So, so congratulations, Bailey. You are the queen of horses, the sport of queens,
0: the triple well crown.
3: Time for her victory lap. Is it going to be me, bitter and sad, leaving the end of the episode? <laughs>
0: Remember that show, Luck?
3: Yeah, I do. Okay. Sorry. Oh, don't get Dylan started on Luck. Where's my luck heads at? <laughs> no.
0: Um. Okay. Uh. Thank you for that amazing game, Andrew. I'm sorry, um, for interrupting your facts and for knowing too much about horses. <laughs> now it's time for Dylan to shine. Dylan, you can come out of the horse pen and you can choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It's time for the choosing. The
2: choosing. The choosing. The choosening. The choosening.
3: I just imagine Dylan running around with Toby Maguire on his back.
0: I'm just imagining him like in the cage and you have to open the, the door.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, for Bailey, I would have picked
2: a book for you. But, you know, I've just been gone away at the Trojan War for so long. Uh, but maybe my daughter Maggie might be able to help you out. Picking a book number 26, Electra
0: by Jennifer Saint. Mm. Mm. Ooh. Well, I think about the Greek empire all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So this is one of those retellings of Greek myths. It follows Electra, the daughter of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. Clytemnestra.
1: I know you pronounced that in French because you were in a play about it.
0: Yeah, that's correct. I was in a play called mm. Electra. It's the French version of Electra. And I played Clytemnestra. So I'm excited to read it. Exciting. <laughs>
3: And Toby, you know what book I picked for you, right? You know, I have a, I have a foreboding, and I'm just going to say it in case it's correct and I get to freak out. I have recently trimmed my list down, so I want to read every book on there except for one, <laughs> which is the stupid book that you guys picked up for me, the Clive Barker book, Cold Heart Canyon, A Hollywood Ghost Story. I really hope it's not that.
2: Toby, Toby, yeah. you know me, though. We've known each other for so long. You're just going to have to, number 35, trust by Hernan Diaz.
3: Ooh, nice. I'm very excited to read this one. This is the recent Pulitzer Prize co-winner. I think it won the Pulitzer Prize last year. So uh, I'm very excited to read this. Nice. Nice.
0: Okay, awesome. So that means in two weeks on the podcast, Andrew will be reading Tough by Paul Beatty, and I am reading Electra by Jennifer Saint. Nice. Nice. Thanks for listening to The To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the to read list podcast.
3: Is it going to be you going to your podcatcher of choice and rating us five stars? Yes, it is. Please do that if you feel so motivated to do it. And, you know, if you also feel motivated, write us a little review. We read them. We share them on a text thread with each other. It brightens our day. And it helps the visibility of the podcast. So I hope it is going to be that.
1: And I know you would never break the rules and pick up a hitchhiker at your (laughs) horse transport business, but if you were to... I recommend telling that hitchhiker you pick up about our podcast <laughs> because word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners, and we really appreciate getting new exposure to hitchhikers. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Turkey for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books. books. Nay. <clears throat> Nay.